A reading from Proverbs. A capable wife, who can find? She is far more precious than jewels. The heart of her husband trusts in her, and he will have no lack of gain. She does him good and not harm all the days of her life. She seeks wool and flax and works with willing hands. She is like the ships of the merchant. She brings her food from far away. She rises while it is still night and provides food for her household and tasks for her servant girls. She considers a field and buys it. With the fruit of her hands, she plants a vineyard. She girds herself with strength and makes her arms strong. She perceives that her merchandise is profitable. Her lamp does not go out at night. She puts her hand to the distaff and her hands hold the spindle. She, open, she opens her hand to the poor and reaches out her hands to the needy. She is not afraid for her household when it snows, for all her household are clothed in crimson. She makes herself coverings. Her clothing is fine linen and purple. Her husband is known in the city gates, taking his seat among the elders of the land. She makes linen garments and sells them. She supplies the merchant with sashes. Strength and dignity are her clothing, and she laughs at the time to come. She opens her mouth with wisdom, and the teaching of kindness is on her tongue. She looks well to the ways of her household and does not eat the bread of idleness. Her children rise up and call her happy, her husband too, and he praises her. Many women have done excellently, but you surpass them all. Charm is deceitful and beauty is vain, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. Give her a share in the fruit of her hands and let her works praise her in the city gates. The word of the Lord. The psalm for today is Psalm 1. We will read responsively by the half verses indicated by the asterisk. Happy are they who have not walked in the counsel of the wicked, nor lingered in the ways of sinners, nor sat in the seats of the scornful. Their delight is in the law of the Lord, and on the law they meditate day and night. They are like trees planted by streams of water, bearing fruit in due season, with leaves that do not wither. Everything they do shall prosper. It is not so with the wicked. They are like chaff which the wind blows away. Therefore the wicked shall not stand upright when judgment comes, nor the sinner in the counsel of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked is doomed. A reading from James. Who is wise and understanding among you? Show by your good life that your works are done with gentleness born of wisdom. But if you have bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not be boastful and false to the truth. Such wisdom does not come down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, devilish. For where there is envy and selfish ambition, there will also be disorder and wickedness of every kind. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, willing to yield, full of mercy and good fruits, 
without a trace of partiality or hypocrisy. And the harvest of righteousness is sown in peace for those who make peace. Those conflicts and disputes among you, where do they come from? Do they not come from your cravings that are a war within you? You want something and do not have it, so you commit murder. And you covet something and cannot obtain it, so you engage in disputes and conflicts. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly in order to spend what you get on your pleasures. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. The word of the Lord. Jesus and his disciples passed through Galilee. He did not want anyone to know it, for he was teaching his disciples, saying to them, The Son of Man is to be betrayed into human hands, and they will kill him. And three days after being killed, he will rise again. But they did not understand what he was saying, and were afraid to ask him. And then they came to Capernaum, and when he was in the house, he asked them, What were you arguing about on the way? But they were silent, for on the way they had argued with one another who was the greatest. He sat down, called the twelve, and said to them, Whoever wants to be first must be last of all and servant of all. And then he took a little child and put it among them, and taking it into his arms, he said to them, Whoever welcomes one such child in my name welcomes me, and whoever welcomes me welcomes not me, but the one who sent me. The Gospel of the Lord. Please be seated. Today we get to hear once again about how obtuse the disciples are, and it's, it's almost a running joke in Mark that the people who know Jesus the best know him the worst. That is, those who spend the most time with him and are his followers and are the ones who are going to pass on his teachings, they get him wrong over and over and over Again, did you notice in that first paragraph, we, Jesus already taught this lesson. We learned it last week and the week before that as well, that the Messiah is going to suffer and die. So they're confused about that. And in their confusion, they have a conversation about which one of them is more important than the others. <laughs> it's as if they've heard him say, this is not about me creating a kingdom that's going to have rank and file. And immediately they, they, they're having an argument who in that kingdom would outrank the others. So, Jesus tries to explain to them uh, that true greatness is about being a servant of all. Um, and I'm pretty sure they still don't get it. Uh, because in many ways, I don't get it. My, my wife sent me this cartoon, this really, really lovely cartoon about a year ago. It's got three panels in it. In panel one, there's personality type B talking to personality type A. And B says, sometimes you've got to stop and smell the roses. In panel two, type A has now grabbed, um, well, a bushel of flowers and is clearly sniffing as many as possible. And in panel three, type A is now holding a trophy that says champion flower smeller and is standing on a podium. Um, my wife was directing that to me. <laughs> Apparently, I like to win. Um, so it is, I want to tell you, sometimes I think, with service. Well, really, with anything. Sometimes we distort what it really means to be the servant of all 
And we elevate people who, who are, who are uh, age group leaders in service or who have won their, their heat or their division. And of course, if you ever feel like you're not doing enough, what is always helpful is to find someone who is doing less than you. And in that sense, you have outserved somebody else. So you may not be the best servant, but at least you're not the worst. At least. And those are words that we use quite often. At least I did something. At least I gave something. At least I wasn't blank. And you know, I, I just find myself drawn to those words week after week and how they represent the opposite of what Jesus is asking us to consider. He follows this up by putting a little child in their midst. Now, we didn't know how small the child is. We didn't really quite have a, um, an age here. Jesus does pick the child up. So probably the child is, well, certainly under 13. <laughs> Don't know how strong Jesus was or how big this kid is. But he picks up this kid and says, whoever blesses this child blesses me and therefore blesses the one who sent me. And we know that's God. So whoever blesses a child, blesses God. Now, we, we tend to get that a little bit because, you know, anytime you want somebody to really come over to your point of view, all you have to say is, think of the children, <laughs> right? At the time of Jesus, no one thought of the children because children were useless. They were commodities who could produce nothing on an investment. It's helpful to consider a few uh, bits of data here. Uh, the chance of you making it to 13 at the time of Jesus was about, oh, uh, 60%. 60% of kids made it to 13. In a sharecropper economy and feudalism, that's really what we're talking about, feudalism, where 99% of people have nothing, Children are just extra investments, typically declining investments, since 40% of them are going to be dead before they can make any contribution to you. Tough reality. Children cost you things like food and clothing, and they give really nothing back to you. Children had no rights, and we you know, you don't even have to look back very far in our own country when children had no rights. Nothing bad about coal, but I did go to a coal mine this summer. Good Lord. <laughs> when you think about what people did in the 1800s and the early 1900s, adults as well as kids standing up in shafts that are two and a half feet tall, it's unbelievable, isn't it? Unbelievable. Um, Children's rights and children's importance and the celebration of youth is actually a relatively new thing. And Jesus says, basically, when you bless somebody who's worthless, you've blessed God. Well, that's a little bit tough, because I didn't think for us now the language would be children. I think we'd find different categories here. It could be when you bless a Democrat, you bless God. <laughs> That's kind of a tough teaching, isn't it? Or, man, when you bless a Missouri Synod Lutheran, <laughs> you bless God. 
You fill in the blank with what that would mean for you. Even if it's not difficult, the truth is when we welcome somebody and bless them, we bless God. And I think that probably gets back to the idea of what it actually means to serve. Service is not really about completing tasks and feeling good about what we've done. Service is about enriching the quality of life for other people. And maybe that's not even a good description because, you know, service can go wrong. Anytime you've parented a child, you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> you had objectives. All of your actions were supposed to get there. And then they did something different. So easy to think that you were a bad servant. But, you know, many of us have come to realize it wasn't really about those outcomes. It was about the fact that we put ourselves out there. Whether they took it or not. See, and that seems to really define what true service is about. Not that other people accept what we give and are beholden to us, but people realize there's something critical about indiscriminately giving. Indiscriminately giving. Consider the kind of servant that God is, after all. Rain falls on the good and the bad. Well, that's not just. It's generous. <laughs> Maybe that's what service is about. Not justice in which we earn. But sort of haphazardly serving life for other people. Whether they choose to receive it or not. Of course, the worst thing that you could do in my family, and I'm still this person is that you do somebody a favor and they're not grateful. Because <laughs> after all, gratitude is the lubricant of relationships. But it is not the lubricant of service. That model is really about the Latin phrase quid pro quo. I give, you receive, you return a favor. You seen The Godfather? <laughs> The Godfather is a pro at the quid pro quo. You do him a service, he knows one day how to serve you back. I'm not sure that's how God's household works, although I want to suggest to you for a long time, we sure have considered that it works that way consider this fundamental misunderstanding we have of the saints, that saints are better people than you. They have stored up merit in the storehouse of God, which is why they can give dispensations to cover your sins. It's really helpful for me to read a Jesuit book that says a saint is someone acutely aware of the selfishness behind every one of their actions. A saint is a person acutely aware of the selfishness behind every one of their actions. Perhaps it's also helpful to hear in the New Testament when Paul writes a letter to the saints in Ephesus, he's not talking about St. James and St. Christopher. He's talking to anybody listening to the letter. He's talking to holy ones who are people who choose to listen. Saints are not people who are morally perfect or impeccable. They're people, even for fleeting moments, who point other people to God. And that surely is the nature of service. 
I am confident that everybody in this room knows what it's like to serve somebody, not in ostentatious or successful ways, but in the daily grind. That is, getting up and ironing clothes or making breakfast or making sure homework is done day after day after day. There's no trophy for that. There's no assurance that it's going to produce the outcomes that you hope, but you do it because you're committed. And I think we have these other readings to help guide us. Now, I, 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 please forgive me. This is this really challenging reading from Proverbs. It's challenging because in the churches I grew up in, on Mother's Day, we would put this on a bookmark and give it to all the mothers. Happy Mother's Day. Hope you'll be a capable wife. Now, that, that beginning phrase makes me want to laugh, but actually, it's, there's quite a bit of, sorry, but church abuse wrapped up in it. A capable wife, who can find? There's no proverb that says a capable husband who can find. I'd like you to know. And in the world of the Proverbs, women were not mutual with men. They were commodities themselves. It might as well have said, who can find a good horse? Who can find a good horse, by the way? And then there's this listing of what a capable commodity does. A capable commodity is super mom. She raises the kids, she clothes them, not just in regular clothes, don't miss this, in linen and in purple. That means she dresses them up like royalty. By the way, at the time of Jesus, if you did that and you weren't really royal, that was called impersonating an officer and it was a capital offense. So, we, we miss this sometimes. The capable woman plants a vineyard and makes a lot of money. Now, women can't own property at the time of Jesus. So, somehow she accrues money, buys land in her husband's name to make more money for her husband. And notice the last verse. Give her some of the money she made to enjoy some of the money. She works so hard, just, you know, buy her, buy, buy her a new dress, and she'll be happy. I don't want to pick on this too much, but I... I, I do, I, I do want to pick on it. <laughs> well, it's really, really hard, because my mother was this lady. Now, granted, she didn't put purple on us, because she was a school teacher. But she was super mom. And I'm grateful for her being super mom. Unfortunately, though, it's not that she chose to be super mom that's the issue, because she did. My, my mother knew what she was choosing. I think the difficulty is that sometimes passages like this get imposed on people and degrade them in their service. It's okay, I think, to say I've been inspired by the service of my mother who gave everything within her. You could ask me today what my mother enjoys, and I would tell you taking care of other people. Yeah, but what does she enjoy for herself? Taking care of other people. What does she collect? Taking care of other people. What kind of food does she like to make? Whatever you'd like to eat. What does she do for her hobbies? Whatever would make other people happy. 
She's finding herself. She's, she is developing hobbies and interests now. I'm really, really grateful. And of course, what I love about my mother is that she is, in fact, so selfless. What I worry about for my mom and other women who find themselves sort of swept into this is that they're not allowed to enjoy themselves. They're not allowed to have hobbies or interests because that's not what the capable wife does. This isn't just about women, though. I think this is also a description about service and the ways we judge other people as being faithful or unfaithful servants. They work all the time, all the time. I like that because I do. I'm the champion rose smeller. I'm just not sure that when we judge other servants that we're actually serving. And I think that is sort of the linchpin on which all of this falls. If I asked you to say who were the most remarkable servants in your life, some of you would identify, I think, with workaholics. Some of you, though, might identify with people who took a gamble on you when you were young. Early in your career, early in your school, they saw past your youth or your mistakes and they said, hey, listen to Max. He's, he's worth listening to. We're going to give him a chance. Listen to Chris. He's young. But he's worth listening to. That's a risk. It doesn't mean that that person worked night and day and clothed their children and enjoyed just a small bit and gave everything else to their husband or their wife. You see what I mean? We all have servants who have transformed our lives who broke this model. I think what's important to remember is that this is one model and not the model on which we can impose faithful servitude on other people or ourselves seems like what Jesus is asking us to really do is to consider why it is we serve to begin with. If we serve to accrue something, don't you see it? It's not service, it's wages. If we serve to earn a reward, that's not service. That's work. Seems to me like service expects no reward because, in general, friends, there isn't reward. Isn't. I find that vexing <laughs> because I like rewards. I like to know that no matter how hard I work or how long it takes, I'm going to get what I was looking for. Of course, we know that in any relationship we're in, whether that's with our parents or our spouses or our kids, if we knew we were going to get the outcome we were hoping for, we could endure just about anything. The problem, as I see it, is that I don't know I'm going to get that outcome. And I don't know how long sorry, it's going to suck until I get it. If I just knew I was going to get it, I could labor for years tirelessly. But if I don't know it's going to come around, I really, after a few minutes, I, I just, I find it difficult to keep going. I wonder if Jesus isn't really fundamentally trying to challenge 
that notion of service. Because don't you see, it's really not about giving, it's about investing. And when we invest, we sure do expect payouts. I wonder if this, these readings aren't trying to ask us to consider that service is to be indiscriminately given, especially to people who don't deserve it or aren't grateful. Because after all, that's how God invests in us. That's a tough teaching. I think James really concretizes it by saying all the strife and all the discontent we have with one another is precisely because we judge one another as being inferior servants in the household of God. I wish I had a 10-step process that would guide us to being joyful servants of the kind that Jesus asks us to consider being. <laughs> that appeals to my personality, to have a 10-step process, because I could do step one really well. <laughs> and then I could do step two really well. And at the end of the 10 steps, I could stand on the podium of service and hold up my champion servant trophy. And don't you see that's exactly why there aren't 10 steps to service? There is only, I suppose, giving because we've been given to. And somehow finding in defenseless, in economically invaluable, ethnically or morally offensive children in God's household, finding it a way to bless them. Because somehow God is there, even if we can't see it. <laughs>